Unfortunately, churches these days have become focused on meeting felt needs, meeting the needs of people that are in their sin to try to win them, to try to trick them into becoming believers, a bait and switch, come in in the world's ways and then become a Christian. Well, it doesn't work that way. And within those worldly churches, the compromise has led to a generation of doctrinally correct, maybe, but hypocrites. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt pastor of Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. And Greg, today we come to a passage that speaks of putting to death something that might be in our lives. And Dave, that something is sexual sin. Indeed, today we're going to begin to see that we as believers are not to let sexual sin live in our lives. So then, how do we kill it off? Well, today we're going to begin to see that in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Now, just a reminder, some of the things that we'll be looking at today are not appropriate for children, so please protect little ears. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, if you want to listen to today's broadcast again, just download our new free app from the Apple App Store. You'll find today's broadcast, archived broadcasts, as well as more about this ministry and our teacher, Pastor Greg Lundstedt. Now, let's join Greg for today's message. Again, I already mentioned to warn younger children that towards the middle of the sermon and even some portions we'll be talking about things that are not appropriate for them, especially when I define some words in the middle. Just a heads up for that. But we live in a society that is bombarded by images. I mean, you can't go through the checkout line without seeing things that you shouldn't really look at or read a magazine or watch a commercial or walk down the street without being bombarded with images or innuendo. Certainly the Internet has contributed to this bombardment. When the Super Bowl becomes an event in which you need to hold the clicker tightly before every commercial or halftime, something's wrong. There's images all throughout. Our society has really been sexualized, and it is driven by sex. We see that. Certainly in Romans chapter 1, we know that the unbelieving, unregenerate society, that's the same thing, by the way, having rejected God is going to spiral into sexual idolatry. So Romans 1 says, and the fulfillment of every desire and hearty approval for every degenerate desire. Now, unfortunately, churches these days have become focused on meeting felt needs, meeting the needs of people that are in their sin to try to win them, to try to trick them into becoming believers in a sense a bait and switch, come in in the world's ways and then become a Christian. Well, it doesn't work that way. And within those churches like that, worldly churches, the compromise has led to a generation of doctrinally correct, maybe, but hypocrites. We see that in lots of youth groups. We hear the stories of single ministries being a breeding ground for immorality and immature believers. And this shouldn't be so. But this problem is not isolated to the youth. Easy Internet access to filth, trashy primetime cable, these things feed fantasies. Temptations to greatly dishonor Christ with our minds eventually leads to actions that have great consequences. But all this shouldn't be so. Therefore, if we have been raised with Christ, how shall we now live? Well, today in our study of Colossians, and turn there, Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 7, we're going to see that we need to put to death sexual sin. We need to put it to death. Now, just a reminder of the context of the book of Colossians, Paul is imprisoned in Rome under house arrest around 62 AD. 
And although he has never visited these believers in Colossae, he has heard of their spiritual state and threats to their faith through their beloved brother Epaphras. Epaphras has traveled 1,600 miles to tell Paul about that. And this is no small journey. They didn't have planes and trains and wheels back then. Very serious. But Epaphras has also shared with the Apostle Paul their faith in Jesus Christ and their love for one another. They're genuine believers. But yet there were threats that had developed, threats to their faith. We see in chapter 2 that there were false teachers, bad guys, and gals maybe, trying to delude them with persuasive arguments, chapter 2, verse 4. And indeed, these persuasive arguments and teachings were aimed at believers who struggle with the flesh. Later on, Paul will say in the end of chapter 2 that these false ways of dealing with your flesh have no value against fleshly indulgence. They're actually the opposite. They're actually you're indulging in a different way. It's interesting how people who try to stay away from the flesh ended up entering into it in a different way, in a hypocritical religious way. No value. False teachers were proposing a theology to deal with their flesh and they were trying to woo these Colossians to unknowingly put their trust in these things rather than the person of Christ. Whether it's legalism, mysticism, experience, asceticism, holding yourself down, they were attacking the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And so what was Paul's solution? A Christ-centered relationship, a focus on Jesus. That's the solution, it's Jesus Christ. It's so simple and yet so ignored. It's spoken of all the time, but yet so ignored. Now, in chapter 1, we've seen that Paul praised God for the changed lives of these Colossians. They had a faith in the Lord and a love for one another. And they had had hope laid up for them in heaven as revealed in the gospel of the grace of God and truth. Then in a prayer, Paul made it clear he desired these Colossians to come to the full knowledge of God's will to be filled with the knowledge of his will, to be controlled by the full knowledge of his will, which would result in a worthy walk. And then from this point, Paul springboards into an amazing discussion about the person of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, he is our redeemer, and in him we have the forgiveness of sins. And then we see that Paul makes it clear that he's the supreme Lord of the first creation. He is God the Son, the creator before all things, and all things in him, he holds them all together. Then he makes it clear that Christ is the supreme Lord of the new creation. He's the head of the body, the church. He's fully preeminent. He is fully God and fully man. And he died to reconcile in order to present us holy and blameless without reproach. He's a totally sufficient Savior. And with this absolute preeminence of Christ established, the Apostle Paul began to lay into his credentials and the way ministry should be done in light of, this is the end of chapter 1, in light of chapter 2, the way the bad guys are doing it. And we saw that authentic ministry has God's men ministering. Paul was a suffering servant on behalf of Christ and a good steward of the Word of God. We also saw that authentic ministry preaches God's message. Christ proclaimed from the Word of God. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We also saw that authentic ministry uses God's method. So many methods out there. Uses Authentic ministry uses God's method, which is to proclaim Christ by his power and strength with the goal of completeness and maturity for every believer in Christ. And in chapter 2, he began to reveal his deep concern and struggle for these Colossians and also those in that Lycos River Valley, Laodicea. He was concerned for them, and he admonished them not to be deluded with persuasive arguments. 
They were not to be spiritually kidnapped by deceptive, worldly, man-centered wisdom that suddenly pulls us off of the sufficiency of Christ, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. They were those who were to, as therefore have received Christ, and each one of us, to walk in him. We received him by faith. We're to walk that way. And then from this point, Paul began to bring his direct warnings to those who threaten the sufficiency of Christ. He began to share concerning Christ that he is God in the flesh, and in him we are complete. We are complete in him. And we have a complete, awesome salvation and victory over Satan and his minions. And therefore, because we are complete in Christ, and we have a wonderful salvation in Christ, and defeat over Satan and his means, therefore, don't be taken captive by these bad guys. Don't let them manipulate you with these persuasive arguments. And we saw we're not to allow them to shipwreck our faith. We're not to be dependent on religious shadows, legalism, all that stuff. We're not to delight in our own religious experience. See, that happens a lot these days. And we're not to submit to religious decrees. Hey, that describes all the bad churches there. Three groups, right? Very much so. These shadows, experiences, and decrees are of no value against fleshly indulgence. If you're a true believer, you're going to mess up, you're going to be tempted, you're going to fall, and you're not going to want to. And they're going to come alongside with these systems to keep you, to help you in your fleshly indulgence. But they're not of Christ. Because it is only Christ that enables us to be delivered from those things. Jesus Christ is the Savior, not a system, not an experience, and not a shadow. Jesus Christ is the Savior. So then, how are we to be thinking? And we saw in chapter 3 that in light of these things, in light of the fact that we have been raised with Christ, we've died with Him, we've been raised, we're united to Him, a sufficient Savior, what are we to be doing? What are we to be thinking? We're to keep our minds on the things above. We're to set our mind on the things above, not the things of earth, because we have died and our life is hidden in Christ. And when He's revealed, we're going to be revealed with Him in glory. Because of that, therefore, we need to focus on Him because of who we are. And that's going to be the springboard for what we'll see today because nothing happens in the Christian life apart from setting your mind on things above, apart from focusing on Jesus, apart from relying on him and understanding who you are in him. If you don't have that, then you're not going to be able to follow what I'm going to share today. It's all connected. So then we're going to see that it's through his will revealed in his word in every circumstance, his word dwelling richly in us as we set our mind on those things and on him that we're able to then say no to sin. Take a look at our passage here. And this is where the rubber meets the road, by the way. Verse 5, chapter 3. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is an account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. And you can read on because it's all connected. And we'll see that next week because it has to do with the renewed, changed mind. And we'll see that. I don't have time to share 8 through 11 today or 12 through 15. But you want to read on and see that those portions are connected to what we're going to see today. That it's in light of a renewed mind and a heart change that is focused on things above that we are able to do what we will see today. So then, if you've been raised with Christ, what are we to do? Notice our passage says, Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. That's our passage today. Now, with this in mind, 
First, we have the command. But notice our passage begins with the word therefore. And you ask the word, what's it therefore, right? You don't start a sentence with a, therefore, I came to church. Well, what comes before that? There's something connected to it, right? And so here, we know in light of what we have seen already, in light of the fact that we are to chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, that we are to be a certain way. Let's look back a little bit. Look back at Colossians 2.23, the end of chapter 2, and I'm going to read through this. These are matters, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom, self-made religion, self-abasement, virtue of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. All that stuff the bad guys bring, it shadows experience and holding yourself down. Hey, sounds wise, sounds like it'll work. No, it doesn't work. There's no value against fleshly indulgence. Actually, it is fleshly indulgence in doing those things, as we'll say. Then we see in verse 3, if then you've been raised with Christ, and the assumption is yes, you have. If you're a believer, yes, you have. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not the things of earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Interesting transition, isn't it? We're going to go from this portion where shows what we should be focused on, Jesus Christ and what he's done and who he is, to how we should be properly being fed and right ministry, to the bad guys, which we shouldn't be listening to, to what we should be doing, setting our mind to things above, to then how does this work out in our everyday lives? How does it work out? Now here, I usually prefer the NASB. It is a translation, obviously. But as we look at this command, I actually prefer the New King James, even the NIV. They do a better job translating this. And I think it renders the Greek more accurately. Now, your NASB is pretty good. They're going to give you a little note here. It says, literally, put to death the members which are upon the earth. Put to death, okay? You go, okay, well, it says something. What it says in the Greek language is, therefore, put to death. It's a command. Therefore, it's the word that means to kill. Put it to death. Kill it. Make it dead. Don't allow it to live. When something is dead, it is not alive. Put it to death. And it's in a tense that means just do it. Do it. And so here, if you're to put to death something, very clearly it means to stop it, to say no to it, to not allow it to live. To not allow it to live. You could put it this way. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Now, they're saying that in light of what's been said. They're translating that, thinking that's what it's going to say. But the New King James does a better job. Therefore, put to death your members, which are upon the earth. And you go, wait a second, my members? That's my arms. That's my flesh. That's my members. How do I put that to death? Well, if you do not have the Spirit of God and you're not saved, then you're going to do bad things. You're going to take it literally. You're not going to see it in light of the Spirit illumining the truth. And indeed, the Lord Jesus would share in Matthew chapter 5, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it's better that one of the parts of your body perish than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off, throw it from you. It's better for you than one of your parts of your body perish for your whole body to go to hell. Now, we know when we study that, he's saying it's serious. It's so serious that you need to deal with the offending part. But the point is, it's not the parts that do it that have the problem. It's the heart. 
And you have bad guys like some of these early church fathers, the early false church, early fake church, early apostate church fathers like Origen, who took this literally, this command here, and castrated himself. Okay, that's not what it's talking about. It's not talking about take the parts that are a problem and kill them. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you're going to go out and do something stupid. That's not what this passage is saying. And please don't leave here without hearing what it is saying. And so here we see that Paul is saying to deal with it, to kill it off. But what does it mean? We saw in chapter 2 that the heretics taught ascetic practices to deal with the flesh, to deal harshly with the flesh, to do whatever you need to do, cut it, take care of it, whatever it is. Is Paul saying kill your members, kill your body parts? That's what it says literally, kill the parts that dwell on the earth. Now he's making a point, first of all, this is an earthly issue. This is an issue that has to do with the fall. The parts that are still fallen, that's my body, that's my flesh. My flesh hasn't been redeemed. When I was saved, my soul was saved. I was created a new creation, but I still have this body of death, this flesh, which is going to be glorified. And we were given the Spirit as a pledge of the redemption of our bodies. It's going to happen. So here, is Paul saying, kill your members, kill those body parts, those parts that commit sin? Well, yes and no. Listen to me here. What does he mean by this? Put to death the members, the ones upon the earth. He's really clarifying which ones they are, by the way. He's clarifying it. He's not saying the heavenly realities of who you are. We've been seated in heavenly places, right? We have redeemed souls. He's talking about the unredeemed part. So what does he mean by this? Well, I believe he's speaking of putting to death the members that carry out these things, but, and he's going to, now, if he's saying that, okay, why doesn't he just say put to death these, a list of things? If he wasn't, so why is he saying your members? Why does he say put to death your members? And then he gives a list, immorality, impurity, passion. Why doesn't he just say stop immorality, stop these things? Why does he say it this way? Why does he say put to death your members upon the earth and then give the list? Rather than just saying stop that list. Why does he do that? Well, I think he's going to point out that our unredeemed flesh is the vehicle in which these sins are carried out. Our unredeemed flesh needs to be dealt with. You can stop things like the ascetics and not deal with your flesh. You can stop stuff and not deal with the problem. The problem is our unredeemed flesh. So I believe he's saying since you've died with Christ and you've been raised with him and are hidden in God and you will be revealed with him in glory, since you share in his death to sin and life to God, since you're a new creation, set your mind on the things above, therefore kill off these sins. And what does he mean? He's using what's called a metonymy. He's talking about the thing that brings it about, but the sins are what really need to be stopped. But he's making that and using that illustration to show us that it comes through the flesh. It comes through our flesh. Our flesh needs to die, as we'll see, and specifically concerning these specific actions that he's talking about. Paul is not calling for severe treatment of the body to hold it in check, to battle fleshly desires. That's useless. That's man-made religion. You may stop it, but you didn't deal with your flesh. You stopped the action, but not your flesh. What Paul is calling for is the death of everything in our lives that is contrary to godliness. To not allow those things to live in our lives. To address the offending parts that cause it to happen. 
You might remember, you could turn at a Romans chapter 8, that because of who we are in Christ, we're to be doing something. Those who are led by the Spirit are doing something. They're actively killing stuff. You go, wait a second, that sounds terrible. They are actively killing things. They're actively not letting things live. By the way, we make provision for the flesh. We put a big backpack of fleshly thoughts on it. We make provision for it. And we'll see it has to do with even anger and other things next time. But here it starts with the perversions, right? We're not to let it happen. We're not to let it live. Romans 8.10, and if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, that's your flesh, right? Yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. We're alive because we have his righteousness. He says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. Hey, you're going to be resurrected. We're going to see it. That's what chapter 8 in Romans is about. It's the answer to who will set me free from this body of death. Thanks be to God. First of all, there's no condemnation. But secondly, we're going to be glorified. Right? And Jesus is taking care of the interim by his spirit. So he says here, So then, brethren, we are under no obligation. This is what we got to learn. Not to the flesh, nor to live according to the flesh. In Christ, you no longer are obligated to yield to your flesh. When you weren't saved, that's all you did, and you had no control Now we don't have to give it. We can kill it off, in a sense. We can say no to it and not let it live. You know, under no obligation to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. If that's the way you live, hey, you're on your way to death. But if by the Spirit, that means living by the Spirit, that means allowing His Spirit to illumine your heart, to walk with Jesus, to abide in him, to allow his spirit to use the word to help us think rightly, to change us, to sanctify us, to renew our minds. If you're by the spirit, you are what? Putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. By the spirit. I put the deeds of the body to death by the spirit. It's by abiding in Christ, by his word prompting me, that's not right, don't do that. And then understanding that he gives me the power to trust him to enable me not to do it. To step out. We haven't been given the power to do anything, but we've been given the power to choose. And what we choose determines what we do. If we choose Christ by his power and strength, we can be set free from sin. If we choose our flesh, we become in bondage to it. We see later on, for all being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. We're his children now. We can allow the Spirit to lead us, rather our flesh to drag us down into the pit. Therefore, our passage says, therefore put to death. Do not let it live. The commands in the aorist tense speaks of a completed action, a moment of time. Just do it. There's no leeway for the struggle. I'm struggling, struggling, struggling. Usually when you're struggling, you've actually already given in. It's when you confess and repent and turn to the Lord that he helps you. And when you're tempted, he's faithful to deliver us from temptation. Yes, we do fall. Confess it when you fall. First John 1, 9, right? But here, there's no room for the struggle. Just die off. Kill it off. There's no leeway for the struggle. This is not a process that so many counselors will tell you. It's a process. We need to work through this so that you won't do these things. That's not the case. Put it to death. God says put it to death. You don't need a counselor to help you with your addiction. You need a God who saves you and transforms you and then will help you if you're willing to obey him and put it to death. So we see here we need to realize and put our mind on the things of Christ. We need to realize he is in us and we are in him.
If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstedt. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the ministry of Equipping the Saints, all our audio resources are available at no cost to you. Thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org. Greg, would you review for us the command we saw today and how we can do it? Well, Dave, very simply, we've been commanded to kill off sexual sin or to not let it live. But how do we do that? Well, you're going to need to join us for our next broadcast. So make plans to join us tomorrow for our next edition of Equipping the Saints. As we close today's broadcast, here's an important message from our teacher, Greg Lundstedt. Hi, this is Greg Lundstedt, and it is my great privilege to study and teach the Word of God and to share it with you each day on this radio station. And as you listen, I want to ask you this question. Has equipping the saints been a blessing to you? If so, would you prayerfully consider coming alongside us financially? You see, your financial partnership with us is so appreciated. So on behalf of the team here at Equipping the Saints, we want to praise our Lord and thank you for your prayers and financial support. Well, thanks, Greg. Now, to partner with us, call us toll-free, 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. Or if you prefer to send a gift online, our web address is etsradio.org. Well, we hope you make plans to join us again right here for another edition of Equipping the Saints. Yeah.